If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. All righty. Good afternoon, Michaela. Are you well? I am, and how are you? I'm doing just fine. Thank you for joining me on A Peaceful Moment. Thank you for having me. All righty, Michaela, we'll go ahead and get started. Go ahead. The floor is 100% yours. Take your time. All right. Thank you. So today we are going to talk about my experience with the medical industry. In 2016, I was diagnosed with endometriosis. In 2017, I had my surgery. Mm -hmm. So endometriosis is a condition where tissue grows outside of your uterus. So it grows on other organs besides your uterus. So Mm -hmm. basically what happens is every month, you know, women get their period. Instead of me shedding all of my uterine lining, some of it would retain. And so during the next month when I regrow the new one to get ready for my next period, it's just growing on top of old uterus Mm -hmm. that never left, right? So there are about 200,000 cases per year. Mm Mm-hmm. And it affects people of chi- childbearing age. About one in 10 women will experience endometriosis. And that means that's about 10% of women in the world mm-hmm. and 20% of American women. Oh my God. Yes. So with endometriosis, um, the side effects that you would experience are an inflamed or a swollen abdomen area, especially around the pelvic region. You're going to have a lot of pain. I had bleeding for months at a time. Oh my God. Yeah. I didn't stop bleeding for, I think, about three months at the longest. And... um, The blood varies in stages from red to, for me, it got to the point where it was black. And we'll talk about Mm -hmm. that in a minute, Mm -hmm. right? And... That's okay. Take your time. Take (laughs) your time. It's really crazy that you're talking about all this stuff. And, like, I remember... Yeah, because you were there for me. I was there. (laughs) I was there. So, like, you talking about this is, like, bringing 2016 all all the way back. It's kind of (laughs) crazy. But take your time. I okay. know it's, like it's, it's a tough thing to talk about. Yeah. It's a little bit. <laughs> okay. So why don't we just start with the medical journey that I went through? Go ahead. So in 2015, that was the year I graduated. It was also the year I started noticing a lot more intense cramping, intense period pain and all of that, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't notice anything weird with like the color or anything. It was just it was just a lot of pain. I talked to my mother and of course, Haitians, there's nothing <laughs> wrong. You're fine. Just, you know, just drink some tea, right. you go to school, you're you're good. Take some soup, get a hot rag. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> so, I was experiencing a lot of depression mm-hmm. because, you know, I went so long with all of this pain and a lot of other life traumas and I just wasn't handling well. After high school, um I was not able to go to college. Mm -hmm. 
I was just too poor. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, my mom didn't really want to help me with any of that. So I just went and I started working after taking a couple months off after school. After that, I started noticing, you know, the more I'm running around, work life was, well, full-time work life was a whole new stress. I, I did mm-hmm. not want to partake in, especially since I had so many bills to pay, still living um, at home, but, you know, I had to pay rent, I had to pay, eventually I got a car, car insurance, mm-hmm. all that shit. Yeah, so happy about that car, cheap cash. What? <laughs> now let me tell you something about that little that little hoopty doopty. Listen, that leave my Honda, leave my <laughs> 2002 Honda Civic alone. Okay, it got me from A to B. All right, that was my baby. That little hoopty doopty used to take us places. You hear me? <laughs> If we had to go to the mall, that hoopty doopty was gonna get us there. We had to go to the skating rink. We was going to uh, what was it? Kabooms. Listen, you can't even because it had a sunroof too, bitch. Ooh. So don't even play with me. And My baby was nice. Exactly. And we had AC. Y'all. Exactly. Can't even talk about my little baby. Anyway, <laughs> so um, long story short, I was feeling worse and worse, and. I winded up going to my primary care physician. Mm-hmm. How long after? So I think in 2000, end of 2015, mm-hmm. I went to my primary care physician and I told him I'm in a, I'm in a lot of pain and um, these are what I'm experiencing and it's coupled by this just extreme depression. And I thought that it was my depression, mm-hmm. right? He wanted to get me into therapy. I'm Haitian, so the therapy's not a thing, exactly, you know. Exactly. <laughs> On the next episode of a peaceful moment. <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyway, I winded up just trying to cope with my body pains the best I could. Working, I started working at Johnny Rockets, and then uh, my mom wound up, you know, getting engaged, and her husband got me a job at a different location at a hotel working at the hotel I was working a lot more (laughs) so I would do you know 60 hour weeks 80 hour weeks like it was good money don't get me wrong it was some really good money but I was doing 60 sometimes even up to 80 hour weeks up until human resources had a heart attack Mm -hmm. at all the overtime but we had no employees and I was I was a decent one exactly And during that time, you know, I had told my doctor how I was feeling. I had scheduled an appointment with the OBGYN because, you know, it's time for me to have my appointment. So I have an appointment with the OBGYN. I go and I see this um, random OBGYN. That, That first one, I don't even remember where, right? And I told them of the pain and everything I was experiencing. And they said, oh, you have a UTI, right? So UTI is a urinary tract infection. And it made sense because while I was working, all those hours, you know, sometimes up to 16 hours in a day, I, I didn't really have a lot of bathroom breaks. So I ended up holding my pee a lot more at that mm-hmm. point. So I'm like, okay, well, I need sense. to go to the fucking bathroom, <laughs> right? So I I got the medication to get rid of the UTI, but I was still experiencing a lot of pain. 
and you know all the other things I was experiencing and okay this is the part that tripped up my primary care physician while I was going through all of this my hair was falling out oh wow and um I had skin tags so like I would wake up and there would be like this burnt part on like different parts of my body Mm -hmm. and I didn't get burned I didn't get scratched I'd always have to take pictures of them because they'd always go away in a couple days and um you know later on I developed more symptoms of endometriosis but you really have to be a specialist to know what it is Mm -hmm. so I was getting sicker and sicker and my hair was falling out and then I had all of these these just like lesions on my skin and I'm like what the like fuck a, it sounds like a, like a uh, immune response yes it it was my immune system basically that's when my immune system started to fail so mm. end of 2015 beginning of 2016 my immune system started to fail so I would go back to the doctor a couple months later and I'm like look at this you know like I know I never had thick edges but now they're gone and now the rest of my hair is thinning and it's falling out and Mm -hmm. I'm not treating my hair bad and I had dandruff for the first time in my life crazy yep and every time I touched my hair like a little touch like this would just my hair is falling out it looks like you just shook a sugar duster Mm. that's how bad my hair was falling and it's crazy because like I learned my hair techniques from you (laughs) yeah I'm, I got like I ain't gonna try and try to brag, but like I got the prettiest hair out here. You feel me? You welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but you do have some nice thick ass hair. But mm-hmm. I was doing all of that to my hair, and my hair was falling out in like clumps every fucking day. Damn. I would like run my hand, like you know, trying to get my hair in a high puff. Or I would after that, I just started braiding my hair down. Every time I had to twist or untwist, whatever style I was doing, low manipulation, all that good shit, my hair is just falling out in clumps. And I tried getting um, braids and protective styles. And every time I took out the protective styles, it was like the amount of hair that would fall out, it seemed like a tenth of my hair. Damn. Was falling out every single time I took out a, a one month protective style. So, you know, I was basically going bald. My afro was thin. I could see through it. Damn. Yeah. So um, I go back to my primary and I'm like, you know, I'm still really depressed. I have somebody to talk to. But at the same time, like, look at my skin. And at this point, um, I had started losing weight. Right. I remember that. So this is the beginning of 2016. And, you know, I was trying to make it seem like, oh, yeah, I'm happy to lose weight, blah, 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 blah. blah. But really, I was not losing weight because I was dieting. I was losing weight because I couldn't eat like I was nauseous. Oh, yeah. The entire time all this is going on. I'm also nauseous. Right. So then my doctor was like, "Okay, well, you have all of these and this extreme pain Oh, yeah, it was the first time I had a week-long period Mm. in my life because my periods have always been... um, I was a pretty active person, so they were like two to three days. The shortest period I ever had was a day and a half. Mm -hmm. So I've always been very blessed in that regard. Pride yourself in that one right there. Exactly. (laughs) But I I always got my period every like three and a half weeks. You know, you you get some, you lose some. So I had a couple extra periods at the end of the year, but still they were only a couple days long, so I I wasn't stressing. And um, 
I told my doctor and I told him, you know, it's very, very painful. And the first day, my bad, the, the second day. So it's basically my first day of full-blown period, but I always have that. Um, I always, like, I, I always spot the day before mm-hmm. as, like, a get ready, bitch. You, it's coming, right? So my first day, I feel exhausted, like... I can't get up. And honestly, I didn't call the doctor until I had to miss work one day. I had to call out because I was so sick. I couldn't get out of bed. Right. So my doctor sends me to an OBGYN named Stefan Novak at Memorial West Hospital. Get him together. Thank you. All right. And I see Stefan Novak a couple weeks later because while Memorial is a great, great, great chain of hospitals, the individual doctors in their hospitals can leave, you know. Mm-hmm. We know. Yeah, okay, good. So I see Stefan Novak in 2016, and most of this is hazy, so please don't expect any dates. I was dying. It's all right? okay. And um, I tell him all the symptoms that I've been having. I showed him my skin tags and I was losing weight. So I'm naturally a triple D. And at this point I was um, a D cup. Mm. Like I had went down two breast sizes. So my breasts look saggy, right? And it was just horrible because I was skinny in all the wrong places. (laughs) (laughs) Like I ain't had no ass. (laughs) I I had shit. Right. So um, I see him and he runs a bunch of tests and he's like, oh, you have pelvic inflammatory disease. And I'm like, what was pelvic inflammatory disease? So basically what he was trying to tell me was they automatically assumed that I had an STD. Mm hmm ran me through every std check i was there for um a couple hours right and then after that the test results came back negative for everything so they called me back later and told me that you know you have pelvic inflammatory disease and pelvic inflammatory disease is where um you had a problem there before whether it be a uti or um an STD and they were they were basically trying to tell me that at some point I had an STD that cleared itself up, right? And that made absolutely no sense to me because I wasn't active. Mm-hmm. My bad. I was active with um, my boyfriend at the time, but neither of us has cheated and he didn't have any STDs. What? So how the fuck do I get an STD when my partner doesn't have any STDs, right? So um, they were like, okay, you know, it's a condition where you're pelvic area inflames because of the irritation that you might have just went through right so yeah they gave me medication it was um two weeks of antibiotics like these really 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 rough antibiotics and I didn't really know what they were I was just like okay let me take this the doctor said I'll feel better right so I could not eat I was vomiting like I literally threw up at work one day and I was I was I I I couldn't do anything but stay and work the rest of my shift Mm -hmm. because you know again I was poor and it was good money exactly so um 
I was sick. I was vomiting. I was nauseous. And I was still in pain, but the pain seemed to start to subside. Mm. After like the fifth or sixth day on the medication, it felt like everything was cleared up. But I took the two weeks because they said that you might experience these symptoms, but take the full two weeks of the antibiotics to make sure that, you know, everything is done and cleared up with. I didn't know after taking antibiotics, you're supposed to flood your system with probiotics. So oh, yeah, because it, um, it kills uh, the good flora in your body. Yeah, I didn't know that. Nobody explained that to me. So Dr. Stefan Novak, none of his nurses, and one of the nurses is also his wife. Nobody explained any of that to mm-hmm. me. Right. After that, um, I went a couple months and I felt good. So literally two months and I felt good. And then it was just like all of a sudden I got one really, really bad period and it was everything, but it seemed to come back with a vengeance, right? Oh my God. So I was like, okay, let me just, you know, let me just hold off. Let me make sure that it's not just me. So I started trying to eat better, but I was still eating meat. I was still eating everything that, you know, you would naturally eat as as a 20, as a 19, 20 year old. Yeah, a little ramen noodles here and there. Yeah, my um, bad. I was 18 at this point. So you mm-hmm. know damn well I was eating them struggle <laughs> meals. All right. Ramen noodles was my favorite thing to eat. That and a bowl of cereal at 2 a.m. Oh, Those are my favorite meals. All right. Say that again. Say that one more time. <laughs> Listen. So um, I tried to eat less of the junk food that mm-hmm. I was eating. So I stopped drinking soda. I stopped eating chips. I stopped eating fast food. And I stopped eating snacks. Okay. All right. I didn't stop eating like me and, you know, the overseasoned food because mm-hmm. that's my food. But I stopped, I cut out all of the unnecessary things. Yeah. All of the basic American junk food. Would that give you any relief? It did a little bit. I'm not going to lie. That really did help. Like I had more energy, but I think it was just my body's natural response to not eating trash. You know, I had more energy. I was more alert and it did improve my mood. It helped with my depression a little bit, Mm -hmm. but not enough. (laughs) So, um, went back to Dr. Stefan Novak and he told me you have, pelvic inflammatory disease again and this time the last time it was like me looking it up this time they explained to me that at some point I definitely had an STD so this time they test me for everything under the sun and then some right and during these sorry that was my cat (laughs) During, (laughs) during these tests they found that um, my iron was low and um, I was borderline anemic, like not low enough to be anemic, Mm -hmm. but not high enough, right? And that um, my blood pressure was low. Yeah, because my blood blood sugar was low, but I'm pretty sure that's just because I didn't eat that day, you know? And then um, 
they were like, okay, well, it has to be something more serious than just a regular STD. So they, they're testing me for HIV, AIDS, mm-hmm. all, you know, all the, all the shit. And everything comes back negative. So this whole time, they're just focusing on, do you have an STD? Yeah, they're, they just think that um, I definitely have an STD. And then around this time, me and, you know, my ex, we broke up. So I was not sleeping with anybody, gotcha. right? So then I told my doctor, my primary care physician, because I always had my appointments lined up every, at this point I was seeing my physicians, either one or the other one, every two to three weeks. So two, three times a month, I had another doctor's appointment. Thank you. Okay. So, um, every two to three weeks I have a doctor's appointment and I would see one and then the other one. And then I go back to my primary care physician and this is after the third round of antibiotics in one year. And you're only supposed to be on antibiotics once per year. Yeah, cause you can so get at this point infection. I had lost, uh-huh, at this point I had lost close to 50 pounds and I'm five, six. And like I said, my breast area is well endowed. I'm a triple D. Come on. And I was now a C cup, borderline B cup. And it was just my skin at this point. There was nothing left in my titties except for um, this liquid that, yeah, my breasts, they were just, it went between lactating and just like dripping Mm. clear fluid. And it was my immune system basically shutting down, right? So that's something else that happens. And um, I had basically damn near no hair at this point. I was about to just chop it all off. And the hair that I did have on my head, despite my intense hair regimen and everything I was doing, it felt like it was fried. Like, it was like the most intense heat damage an Afro can have while still being an Afro. I had no curl pattern, no nothing. And again, my hair was falling out in chunks and clumps, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So um, I saw him again, and I'm like, this is my third round of antibiotics, and I'm starting to feel the same way again because the first time it took two months, and then I started to feel bad again. And then they prescribed antibiotics to me the second time, and I was better for about three, four weeks, and then I started feeling sick again. And then I went the third time, and they're like, you have to have had an STD at some point. And I'm like, okay, but you guys have never tested me positive for one. Exactly. Never, not once have you tested me positive, right? So they gave me the antibiotics and I'm like, okay, let me take them. I schedule an appointment with my regular physician and I go see him and I tell him, listen, this ain't it. (laughs) Like this is not, this isn't it. At this point, now I am 130 pounds. It's around the time of my mother's wedding. Got you. Right? I'm 5'6". I have big ass titties and I'm 130 pounds. So you remember when I was really, really skinny? I do. When my mom was getting married, mm-hmm. I didn't have no back rolls. And I'd have not ever not had back rolls. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like no matter how small I am, I've never not had back rolls. But I didn't have any of that. 
I could not eat because every morning I woke up feeling nauseous and I stayed nauseous until I fell asleep. I had insomnia because of the pain and the hunger pains mixed with nausea, mixed with everything else that was going on. I wasn't an eye in any way, shape or form a good head. So let me ask you, Mm. going through all of this, like what, how were you coping with this? How was like, what was, what was keeping you going? Um, I have my little brother. Got you. Right. And that, that's my little best friend. He's still too young to be my best friend, but Shout out to Jaleel. yep, he's going to be my best friend. I can, <laughs> I can already see it. So I had my little brother to think about and honest to God, I did not, I didn't trust my mother to make sure that he would have been good throughout high school exactly. because I was okay up until middle school and then high school, you know, when you go through puberty and everything. I did not have anybody to like talk to talk to during high school. Like I had people I thought were my best friends at the time and and it always just was kind of apparent that these aren't really my friends and then shit happens and then you're like I'm happy I kept the real shit to myself, you know? So I I didn't really trust anybody. I was not talking to anybody. So it would be like wake up in the morning, go to work. <laughs> Got you. Come back home go to sleep, wake up in the morning, go to work. Mm-hmm. And that's honestly how I was coping with it. Oh, so you just basically keep yourself busy. Yeah. And it was just busy with work and work and work. And um, during most of this, I had two jobs up until um, up until October or November of 2016, but we're still not there yet. Got you. Th- right. This whole process is crazy, right? So <clears throat> you have this young girl who's working two jobs to pay bills, take care of the house, plus the little brother. Then she's in extreme pain, completely nauseous all the time, got all the all these other things going on, dealing with life. Now you got a doctor telling you you have you had a STD sometime, you just don't know about it. And you're somebody's constantly questioning your reality and you still have to like balance all the stress of life mm-hmm. and that is nuts so um so in between these doctor's visits i had to go to the emergency room mm. um i think i was in the emergency room five or six times in 2016 and um tour um around this time it was my third time going to the emergency room and my bad it wasn't my third time going to the it was but um it started off as a doctor as a doctor's visit with Stefan Novak right because my um doctor wanted me to go see another doctor instead of Stefan Novak mm-hmm. but I already had an appointment scheduled with him so I figured let me go to that appointment and then book an appointment with another doctor because my primary care physician his name is Dr. Anik Rafiq I know it rhymes but that is his name call him out child yes he saved my life we're talking about bad doctors let's pause and talk about a good one right there's only going to be two good doctors in this whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) He saved my life. He's the only one who believed me. He's the only one who believed that there was something wrong. He's an Indian man. Right. And he, he was there for me. Like he was trying everything within his power to make sure that I was, I was going to be okay. Right. So 
I had another appointment with um, Dr. Novak. And after every appointment with Dr. Novak, my primary care physician made it a point to make sure that he always got the results back as well from my OBGYN because he wanted to compare their work with all of the blood tests and all the work that I was doing with him because I had blood work done often (laughs) and he wanted to compare and contrast right Mm -hmm. so he can obviously see as well I've never had an STD and they keep diagnosing me with pelvic inflammatory disease over and over and over again and I'm just like this isn't it so I went back to see Dr. Stefan Novak, the OBGYN, and after the visit, my bad, after I finally get through to the visit, because there's always this thing where even though my appointment is at, you know, nine o'clock in the morning and that's the earliest appointment I could have possibly gotten that day, I'm still there in the waiting room at like 1030. I'm still waiting to see this doctor. And then that's the waiting room to get into the secondary waiting room. Mm -mm. Yeah, there's two waiting rooms. There's the one in the front. (laughs) And then there's the one where, like, they take your blood pressure and you wait for a room to be available. Right? So they finally take me into the secondary waiting room. And the nurse takes my weight. And she's like, oh, you lost. I think I had lost, like, another 10 pounds. Right? And, um... That that's ten pounds in about in about three weeks, and I was not trying to lose weight, right? Exactly. But I I was I was still within healthy weight at that point in time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until later that I was like underweight. So um, they're like, "You lost another ten pounds." I'm like, "Okay," and. And so I'm sitting there and I'm waiting. They take my blood pressure and they're like oh, your blood pressure is kind of low. I'm like, yeah, it's always kind of low. I didn't think anything of it because ever since I'd been going back and forth to the doctors, my blood pressure had been lower than average, but not dangerous, right? Exactly. That was your new normal. Yeah. And I I did experience fainting spells like throughout this. I think I fainted two or three times during the year, though. Damn, what? Yeah. I kept that to myself, too, because... Shit, nobody saw it, so it didn't happen. What, what were you fainting? Um, thankfully, at home. Got you. There was one time that I was about to faint at work, and I sat down, and nobody really noticed. They just thought I was, like, taking a second to myself, and no, I was passing out. Damn. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm not, you, you're not, you're not doing something while I'm unconscious. So I, I did not, I tried my hardest not to faint in public. Gotcha. It was just really, really hard. So um, after they take my blood pressure and it's really, really low, they take me into the, they take me in to see Dr. Novak. And I think I was about a week off of the medication. And this time I had just started bleeding right away again, right? So they um, they do the blood pressure and then they take um, samples again. And but this time the blood that was coming out was um, almost black. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was very, very sick. Right. 
and the 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 color of the blood is basically telling you how old that part of the uterus is so the darker the color of the blood the older that part is that's currently coming out and for it to be black when it's coming out that means that it started to rot inside of me before it started to come out so Mm -hmm. basically it was very apparent that whatever was going on inside of me my my uterus my organ was basically rotting from the inside out right so he was like okay well um with this and with your blood with your um blood pressure we're sending you to the emergency room i'm like what they're like yeah you need to go to the emergency room and i'm like okay but i need to I need to um, go to another doctor's appointment. I have one scheduled right after this. It, it didn't click to me what he said. So I was literally like, wait, but I have to go. I have another doctor's appointment. I got to do. Exactly. And then um, I had to go to work. <laughs> That's why I scheduled it in the morning. I had to go to work at another doctor's appointment. Right. And he's like, no, you're going to the emergency room. Right? I'm like, oh. <laughs> like, literally. It was just like an... Oh, I'm going to the ER. I'm like, okay, but can can I move my car? He's like, no, you're not moving your car. Your car will be fine. You're going to the emergency room. That's so crazy. Right? I'm like, okay. But the OBGYN's office mm-hmm. was on, like, almost the opposite side of the emergency room entrance. So oh. a nurse came, walked me downstairs, and stayed with me until I got inside the golf cart because they called they called the like security trolley thing Mm -hmm. to make sure that i got into the nurse the um emergency room and then when i got there memorial system is is awesome so when i got to the emergency room off this cart there was already a nurse waiting for me outside they're like hi michaela come this way and the emergency room over flooded with a whole bunch of fucking people right so at this point, it's like my third time in the emergency room and there I'm in extreme pain. Right. And the emergency room tech comes up to me and they're like, OK, well, we have morphine for you. It's we see on your chart that you've had morphine before. Yeah, they love to give you morphine. And I'm just like, I, I don't want morphine. Like I looked at them and I'm like, I, I don't want morphine. I don't want any any of those heavy narcotics. Like I don't want to be addicted. And they. The guy, he looked at me, and he he looked like he was appreciative, right? And he kind of chuckled a little bit. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you're in a lot of pain. I understand that you might not like these medications, but that's the only thing that's really going to help you at this point. Oh, my God. But, okay, let me explain to you another reason why I personally didn't like morphine. And I just didn't know that 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 this is how much pain I was in, right? So they gave me the morphine. Is my third time on morphine. Yeah. Real quick, real quick. Yes. If y'all don't know what morphine is, <laughs> morphine is like that. It's like it's like the strongest, strongest of the strongest drugs. Actually, like, there's one stronger than that, and we're going to get into that later. I didn't know that. Yes, sir. Morphine is usually only reserved for um, people at um, EOL stage, like end of life, people with like stage four terminal cancer, people... Um, with congestive heart failure, people who are like, who, who aren't going to make it. They always say, we're doing this to keep them comfortable. And that's the, the main reason why they use morphine, just to keep them comfortable. But it, it's, a, it's, it's pretty tough. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and um, coming down from morphine is disgusting. Mm. So, um, 
So I told them, like, I don't I do not do drugs. <laughs> like, literally, like, he explained it to me, like, this is the only thing that's going to help you. And I'm like, okay, but I don't do drugs. I don't have a desire to do drugs. I don't, I don't want these drugs in my system, mm-hmm. right? And he's like, you're going to be in pain. It's your choice, but you should, you should take the morphine, right? So the amount of pain that I was in and another reason I didn't like morphine is because even after he gave me the dosage, right, I was still in pain. Like, I could still feel my pain. And most people, when they get that amount of morphine, they'll, like, knock out. Mm-hmm. Or, like, they'll just get really tired, really slump. There is this heavy feeling that comes over your entire body, and it feels like you're weighed down. Like, mm-hmm. it really it really makes it hard to get up. You're dizzy and disoriented. Like, when they say that you can't, you can't do anything when you're on these drugs, you cannot do anything when you're on these drugs. But me personally... Like, I was fine. Like, they brought me into the room, and it took a couple hours because there was a wait in the waiting room. But instead of putting me in, like, a shared room, apparently I was so bad that they had to reserve a private room for oh, me. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really understand much of what was going on. Not a lot of people explained it to me. Not a lot of people could explain it to me because you needed to be an OBGYN to understand, right? Mm-hmm. And... um. I finally go and I get my room and I there they give me the basic spiel so whenever you get morphine they tell you you need to call if you need to get up if you need to go to the bathroom you need to call you are not allowed to um, take walks on morphine unless you have a nurse there Mm -hmm. and even then it's not really recommended that you do take walks so they give you these compressors and the compressors is basically like um one of those little floaty tube things (laughs) that you put on your arm the water wings Mm -hmm. but it's enough to cover your entire calf and lower leg section Mm -hmm. to keep the blood moving so it just expands with air and it you know it deflates And that's to keep the blood flowing because I wasn't allowed to walk around. And then I remember I got up to go to the bathroom and then the nurse came in because at this point they were taking my vital signs every 30 minutes. Oh my God. Yeah, I I was really bad. So they were taking my vital signs every 30 minutes. So I got up and I went to the bathroom and it was this nice Jamaican lady, right? And she's like, like she's just looking around and in she's like, where the fuck did she go? Because I'm not allowed to leave the room. So I'm at this point, I flush the toilet, I wash my hands, I come out, and she's like, you were in the bathroom by yourself? And I'm like, yeah, I had to pee. Mm-hmm. And she said, it says right here on your chart, you are not allowed to walk around. You are on morphine. You need to lay down right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay. Right. I felt like I was a kid in trouble, Mm -hmm. but I understand why, because most people, if they tried to go to the bathroom on morphine, if they tried to go to the bathroom on morphine, they'd wind up falling down Mm -hmm. or passing out, you know? So that was day one. 
they gave me this nasty ass hospital food. I was so sad. Oh, well, we love I Panera was Bread. So hurt. We love Panera. No, but I I didn't I didn't get to go down to the food court to get the good hospital food. No, I'm talking about Panera because you know Panera was just hospital food. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So, the first day they came in, still, like, nobody was really telling me anything. But I had the permanent IV. They gave me potassium mixed with something else Mm -hmm. on an IV drip because my fluids were also very, very low, right? And um, my... They um they told me the reason that they kept me they winded up keeping me for three days right the reason that they kept me was because my blood sugar my blood pressure was too low for me to leave mm-hmm. every time the nurses would come in now remember I had insomnia at this point so I couldn't sleep because of how much pain I had been in for the past year so every time the nurses would come in they would always be so surprised that I was up and I'm like yeah I'm up I'm just you know still in pain I'm still you know, very, very uncomfortable. And they had me on a rotation of, of, um, what the fuck is it called? What the fuck was I on? Help me. Help you. (laughs) Morphe. Okay. They had me on a, on a rotation of morphine Mm -hmm. and Percocet. Oh my God. Yeah. They gave me both at this point because I was in so much pain and I was still feeling pain, but I wasn't about to tell them that so they could give me something else. Right. And um, by the end of the first day, I kind of got the feeling that there was something wrong past the normal. Mm. Right. And for me, something wrong was normal, but, you know, it just felt like it was something more intense. And they just kept coming in and checking my blood, my um, vitals every 30 minutes still. It was all the way nighttime and I had been there since the morning, right? I had to call off work and everything. So um, I took a picture of the, of the monitor mm-hmm. when the nurse was like turned around writing it down on my chart. And I sent it to one of my nurse friends and I said, hey, they're not really able to tell me what's going on right now. They said that they're still running tests, but, you know, can you read this? Because <laughs> I didn't, like, they said that it was low, but it it just wasn't, it wasn't making sense to me. Like, yeah, my, my blood pressure's low. It's always low, mm-hmm. you know? What does that even mean? <laughs> and um, she messaged me back, how are you awake right now? That's oh the God. blood pressure of someone that's in a coma. How are you messaging me? And then it was, I was like, uh, I don't know. I just, she was, she asked me, how do I feel? And I said, I feel tired. And she's like, how are you even coherent? Because again, my blood pressure was basically something you'd find of someone in, in a coma. Mm-hmm. In like a very yeah. calm, relaxed, like not yeah, like state. like like my vital signs read that I, I was not awake. Mm-hmm. And, um... That's when I, basically her comment is what made me understand, okay, so. Something is extremely wrong. Yeah. They gave me, so basically what the doctor did, Stefan Novak, he gave me the antibiotics through the IV. 
they started off on my right arm. And remember when I had that big ass ball right here for a couple months? Mm -hmm. That's when I got it because they were trying to give me the antibiotics through the IV and my vein swelled up. Oh my God. That bump that I had for a couple months was a swollen vein. Yeah, it, the, the swelling just never went down and it was hurting and everything. So they had to move it to my left arm, but my blood pressure was so low that they couldn't, like the IV was stopping or it was reading that it had stopped every like hour or so. Mm-hmm. So it was they, collapsing? I, I don't, I don't know. I really don't. So they gave it to me through my hand and the hand one, it hurt really bad. So I messaged my friend again, cause she was, you know, she was in school to be a nurse or a doctor. I can't remember. And she's like, an IV shouldn't hurt. Call them and tell them to take it out. Cause mm-hmm. it hurt really, really bad. And they're like, no, it shouldn't hurt. Call them and tell them to take it out. She probably screwed up the IV. And I'm like, okay, well, cool. So I get a different, a, a, just a different person to give me an IV, right? So. At this point, I had three different IVs placed on me so that I could receive these antibiotics. And um, this is the second day, and they're still checking my blood pressure, my um, vital signs every 30 minutes. Like, I really feel like they just expected to walk in and I was dead or some shit. And I was hooked up to the heart monitor and everything. Yeah, the entire time I was there, I was hooked up to heart monitors and all that shit. Like they were not playing. They thought I was gonna die. I don't. I don't know why nobody told me, but you know, this is just what I went through. Mm-hmm. So um, I leave there. I go back to my primary care physician. I tell him about my experience, about what happened. They kept me for three days and gave me IV fluids, and then um, after that, they gave me more. My bad. They gave me antibiotics to the IV, and then I left, and they gave me more antibiotics to take it home, right? And I told my doctor, and he's like, okay, you're going to go see a different OBGYN just in case, right? So I went, and that's where I saw the Haitian man on um, Broward Boulevard that apparently has seen everybody's coochie. I know that's right. Mm -hmm. And I went there, and he dismissed the absolute fuck out of me. Oh, wow. He, I, I, I don't remember his name, and I tried to look him up. I could not find him on Google. But he dismissed the absolute fuck out of me. I was asking him questions, like, like you know, the main question that I had asked him was, when will I be better, and you know, when can I, when can I have sex? I'm, I'm still, I'm still single, but I'm just asking these questions, right? And he's like, you don't need to be having sex. You shouldn't have sex until you're married. And I'm just looking at him like, mm-hmm. I understand where you're coming from, but this is, in my mind, I'm like, this is a professional setting. Your personal opinion shouldn't stop you from answering my question because he did not answer my question. So I asked him again, and he's like, wait until, you know, two weeks has passed, but you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be doing anything until you're married and, and you need to close up shop and all that extra shit. And he was just, he was just rude. He treated me like a child. I was 19 at mm-hmm. this point and he treated me like a child. Went back to my primary care physician and um, I told him about the experience and how he literally treated me like a child and dismissed my questions and told me to wait until I was married, right? My primary care physician 
did not like that. Right? So he um he wrote the doctor. I don't know what became of that. Just doctors writing doctors, I guess. And um he opened up the authorization for me to see um a specialist, right? So what I needed this entire time, this entire year, was a gynecological oncologist. Mm. Because you have a gynecologist, gynecological oncologist, they specialize in um, in problems with the uterus itself and not just your whole reproductive system, That's like true. breasts and all that extra shit. They went the extra mile to make sure they learned everything that there is to know about a uterus, right? And his name is Dr. Wynn. He is at... I remember him. Yep. I remember him. <laughs> Little tiny Asian doctor. He is at Memorial Regional Hospital. Mm-hmm. He was really nice, too. No, he was not. I don't know, I don't, I don't know what Dr. Wynn you oh, met. Oh, I think we were talking about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, listen. So, oh, yeah, he was nice. He was nice at the end. So mm-hmm. here's how he got nice. Let me tell you. If you ever go see Dr. Wynn, he's gotten better over the years. But he has horrible bedside manner. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Bedside manner is, in case you don't know, is what they use to refer to how a doctor treats his patients. Like, not just how he handles your cases, but how he treats you as a person. Mm-hmm. Right? So, he has horrible bedside manner. I went to go see him, and I had um, made sure I had that day off of work. I was in that waiting room for two hours past my appointment time right arrive 15 minutes early and all that good shit two hours past my appointment time i am inside of that office um there was an issue with the referral and they went and they got the referral before my appointment time still and i was still in there two hours after my appointment time and then they moved me into the secondary waiting room Mm because remember there's always two you gotta have the second one exactly and they take my blood pressure and everything and they're like oh this is very low and all that good shit right i'm like yeah i know gotta do this (laughs) and in the back of my head i'm like please don't send me to the er (laughs) right so then after that i um they give me my um room for dr Wen. i go in the room so wait what year is this now what year this is you? 2016 okay is this still 2016 yep all of this oh happened God. 2016 dang yep because when i got sick it was affecting how i could work so i was going to the hospital over and over and over again because mm-hmm. i wanted to get better i didn't want to be sick Come right amen so um at this point um I had been waiting in the secondary waiting room for, I think I, I think it was like over a half an hour. Mm-hmm. And then they put me in my actual visiting room. So I'm in there and I'm in there for about another 15, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So at this point I've been there for like three hours and I still haven't been seen, right? And I, I see him like running, passing, running, running, running up and down. Like he's really, really behind and he's like a little flustered. You know, there's a lot of people in the waiting room and he's really behind all that good shit. So he comes in, like I said, a little tiny Asian man running, right? Just imagine that. (laughs) And um, I'm laying back and there's always a female nurse, especially when you have a male doctor. Mm -hmm. There's always a female nurse there, just, I guess, to observe what Makuchi looks like. Right. Right? Just, you know, make sure. Spectate. (laughs) So, um... 
Dr. Wen is the specialist. He is a gynecological oncologist. And he is 100% recommended despite his bedside manner. Like, he gets no negative points for mm-hmm. that. So he comes in, and he, he does get some negative points for this, though. He asks me, you know, how how am I, what's wrong? And I'm trying to explain to him what's wrong and he's in a rush. So he's kind of not really listening to me. And at Mm -hmm. this point I'm frustrated, like I'm mad, right? So there's a thing called a speculum and what a speculum is. That's the, yeah, it's a device that goes inside of your vagina Mm -hmm. and it cranks open. So they crank it open to open up your vagina so that they can swab your cervix, Mm -hmm. which is the opening of your uterus um, past the vaginal canal. I mean, down the vaginal canal. So they have to open all of that shit up. And it's metal and it hurts. And it's cold. And Yeah, it's cold. <laughs> it's fucking cold. <laughs> so um, before he puts the speculum in, I tried to tell him I'm in extreme pain. Mm-hmm. As usual, right? I remember. Like, and then it's he's so like, crazy, he's like, I remember this phone call. I remember you calling me and telling me this. <laughs> he's like, oh, don't worry. This doesn't hurt. And then he takes it and he just puts it in. Right. And I screamed. I laid back on the table. I screamed. I clutched the chair. I, he pulled it out and he's on a little wheelie chair. He pulled it out, put it down. He put his hands up and he's like, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? What happened? What did I do? Um, I just screamed. I told you that I was in pain. It fucking hurts. <laughs> and I just like laid back and I was crying. I was fucking crying, right? So he, um, he looks down at the speculum. And he takes a swab to the speculum. He puts it in something. And then he's like, I'm very sorry. I'm going to be right back. I have to go check something. Right? And then I'm in that room. The nurse is with me. I cried for about 10 minutes. It hurt that bad. I cried for 10 fucking minutes. And I, I, I try not to cry in public. Mm-hmm. And I was just full on bawling. Oh, my God. Right? So um, after... After that, the nurse is like, okay, well, you need a, you know, if you need a minute, don't worry. Just take your time and get dressed. Crack the door open when you're dressed. Take your time, right? Very nice nurse. So I'm like, okay, no problem. So I crack the door open when I'm done getting dressed. And um, I, the doctor comes back in, right? And the first things out of his mouth was, listen, you have endometriosis. I need to prep you for emergency surgery. You need to go to the operating room right now. I remember this conversation. And I'm just like, okay. And then he runs out and he leaves. And then, because, you know, at this point, I'm very, very hazy. I've been on so much medication. Mm-hmm. I, you know, my body is so tired. So it, wait, this was, uh, were you at Memorial Regional? Yes, this is Memorial Regional. This is the night I came to see you, right? No. Okay. Go ahead. Continue. That happened at Memorial West when I was there for three days. Got you, got you. That was the other hospital. That's when I came to see you. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So this happened at Memorial Regional Hospital, Mm -hmm. right? And Dr. Wynn um, leaves the room, and I just sit back and I process, and I'm like, 
wait a second. I'm not going to let this motherfucker cut me open. The fuck he mean I got to go to emergency surgery? Bitch, I don't even know you. <laughs> That's literally what went through my mind. And then I got mad and all this extra stuff. And then I'm like, I wait for the nurse. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not having surgery today, ma'am. I'm leaving. Right? Because I'd been there for over three hours waiting to see this doctor that had rushed through. Didn't even tell me what his, my bad. He told me what his name was, but I didn't know that you spelled win with an N. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, bad on my part. So I didn't even, I didn't even think it was the same doctor. And um, I went to the front and I told um, the lady at the front checkout because she was giving me back my copy of the paperwork because mm-hmm. my doctor has always sent me with a request for me to have a personal copy and for them to send him a copy. Gotcha. Right. He wanted to make sure that everything was was fully covered mm-hmm. and communicated peace right and cues, peace and cues exactly so um i got back the paperwork and the lady asked me what's wrong what happened you know because she could see that i was visibly distraught so mm-hmm. i told her and she said you need to talk to our um head nurse got you so the head nurse is like the the manager mm-hmm. kind of i guess like she, she's just the the top person there besides the doctor himself. So I go and I talk to her, right? It took like another 30, 30 minutes, right? Around there. It took another 30 minutes, but I sat down and I waited and I talked to her. So at this point I've been there for like four hours. I'm annoyed. I go and I sit and I talk to her. And um, after Dr. Wynn had left my room, apparently what he was doing was getting the record that Memorial had because I stayed within the Memorial Mm -hmm. chain. So he got the record of my hospital visits with the chain and he had like printed them out and he was looking through um, my paperwork. When I said I wasn't gonna have the surgery, he gave it to the head nurse. So um, she could convince me to have the surgery, right? But like I said, horrible bedside manner. So I didn't didn't really feel comfortable, Mm -hmm. right? But, Dr. Wynn is a great doctor, let me tell you. So I saw the head nurse, and when I saw her, she um, she said, I'm very sorry about your experience, but I looked through the paperwork Dr. Wynn gave me, mm-hmm. and um, I agree with him, and I looked through your blood work and, and a brief look at your history from what she could see on her computer because she would have to send in the request and wait for them to send everything else back that they couldn't see with the basics of the visits, right? So um, she said, from what I can see, it sounds like, or it looks like you have endometriosis and I agree with Dr. Wynn that you need to have emergency surgery. And I just told her that doesn't make any sense because they've been telling me that I had pelvic inflammatory disease. And she's like, no, absolutely not. I don't think. And she told me she didn't think that I ever really had pelvic inflammatory disease. It's just when doctors who are not oncologists, so regular OBGYNs look at this, endometriosis is not something that is easy to uncover because I had x-rays and um I had x-rays and ultrasounds Mm -hmm. but it's just extra tissue so it doesn't show up on either one of them as something wrong it just looks like extra tissue Mm -hmm. you know 
So it 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 could honestly, I think it it just looks like it's confused with fat if you don't know what exactly you're supposed to be looking for. And they were always telling me, oh, you have a lot of gas, but you know, it just looks like it's mostly just inflamed when really it's not inflammation, it's the extra tissue. Fucking crazy. <laughs> so um, she said that she didn't think I I um, had pelvic inflammatory disease, and that's just something that they di- that they'll diagnose you with if they don't know what it is. And she was really nice, right? She I should mention that um, Dr. Stefan Novak seemed to be white Hispanic. Dr. Wynn is Asian. The head nurse. She was white, and my primary care physician was Indian, right? Mm-hmm. Just to put it into perspective. So um, she told me, listen, I'll give you some time to think about it, but you need to have this operation, right? So I, I went home, and thank God, my mom's best friend, so my aunt, you know, she is a surgical nurse with the memorial chain and she personally has not worked with dr win but dr win has worked on her friends and she told me herself he is horrible bedside manner (laughs) and that's how we knew it was the same doctor he has horrible bedside manner but she would trust him with her life and hearing this black haitian woman say that that was good enough for me because she was she was also um she also did operations herself. So, you know, the people that she knows who have worked with him, they only have great things to say because he takes every single precaution. He takes every single um, safe sample that there is to take unless it's truly and, and honestly unnecessary to take it. Like, um, instead of taking just like a sample from uh, the uterus and a sample from the ovaries, like most of them would take, he takes samples from different sections of the uterus and mm. samples from different sections of the ovaries. So he'll have sample um, 1A, sample 1B, sample 1C, sample 2A, sample 2B, sample List 2C. Them down. Yep. List them down. And he does that because um, during his surgeries, he takes the samples from different sections of your organs to test for cancer. And... um. At this point, my primary care physician, because of how sick I had been, at this point I was um, under 130 pounds at five foot six, with you know no titties left. I was no so sad. Titties. Yep, I was Zero so sad. Titties. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And I I just looked so sickly. My um my primary care physician says told me before I went to go see Doctor Wynn, he. Um, whatever oncologist you're able to see, if they if they agree um, with what the previous doctor said, then I'm just gonna start testing you for cancer mm-hmm. because it's now looking more like you have um, cancer or an autoimmune disease, and I tested negative for HIV and AIDS, so you know it's not that. It has to be something more on the cancer side, right? So, um, I talked to my aunt, she gave me that review. I also looked at his other reviews and like, they were kind of back and forth. Most of them were just not happy with his bedside manner. 
those are most of the negative more most of the more negative reviews that he got was just about bedside manner but nothing really about like mistreatment or anything right so i decided okay i'm going to go through with it so um one of my coworkers i was talking to her about my struggles and everything and she had been telling me for a couple months that she did not think I had pelvic inflammatory disease and that they did the same thing to her kid, I mean, her, her child. And um, I had an IUD in, and she said that it was probably the IUD, right? And I said no because they always, you know, they check x-rays and they do the um, ultrasounds and it's still placed properly, right? It doesn't look like it's shifted or moved or anything. That's going to be real interesting later. So um, I, I um, in between this, they had to do all of the actual, you know, make sure it's safe for us to cut you open tests, right? Because the, because Doctor Wynn told me that based on how extensive it looked, he instead of going through the vaginal canal like they would for most women, he was gonna have to make an incision because the symptoms that I was portraying and as long as I had as long as I had, had them at that point, he told me that there was honestly no way he would be able to do the operation from um, the vaginal canal. From the inside. Yeah. So um he he so um, I go back to my primary care physician to do the basic blood work checkup, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's when they found out that there was something potentially wrong with my heart. So they said that it didn't look like it was serious, but they can't operate until they know for a fact that it's not serious. I got sent to a cardiologist, which really just made me feel so morbid because the youngest person in there besides me was probably in their 60s. Oh, my God. I was the I was the you youngest the person by four decades. I'm looking around this room like everybody else in here is is old. I feel like I really just <laughs> I, I felt like I was dying at that point. Like that was just like wow like no offense to old people but you know it just there was not a single person anywhere near my age like some of them were with their kids but it was just so obvious that they were with their grown ass kids and when i say kids i mean like their kids were in their 30s and that's who was accompanying them i go in there and um there's a test where you have to run on a treadmill and my uterus was hurting so bad that um, I almost didn't complete the test, right? Like we had to stop like twice and it was just running on a treadmill. But every step I took, it sent a pain. At this point, the pain that I was experiencing was past just um, uterus pain. I was getting pain in my ovaries. So every step I took, it was basically pushing tissue and squeezing my ovaries. Mm. So my ovaries were in pain. Like I was ready to fucking cry every single time I took a step. So you can imagine me running. It was not an easy thing. It's so crazy. So like from from my perspective, I don't have ovaries, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So I'm like in my head I'm thinking like how do you feel your ovaries? Like they're inside your body. They're not like a 
they're not like a finger. They're not like like your stomach. You know, your stomach can hurt, or sometimes mm-hmm. like you eat something crazy. Your uh, intestines do something weird, and like it. But like your ovaries. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. So um. <laughs> so I took the um, I went to the cardiologist and I did all the tests and they said that um, I needed to stay and do more tests. Mm-hmm. So I stayed, I did like two more tests and they said that I have a slight arrhythmia mm. and here's the, the part that kind of like tripped me up. They said that, oh, there's nothing we can do about it now, but come back when you're in like your 30s and 40s, that's when you should be having problems. That was it. Like, my heart doesn't beat properly. Like, it, it skips a beat. And I can feel it skipping a beat. When I have, like, really bad depression and high anxiety, mm-hmm. I can, you know, you can feel your heart beating. And I can feel every now and then when it skipped a beat. I just thought I was crazy. Apparently, I wasn't. And I have an arrhythmia. Mm-hmm. And it really does skip a beat every now and then, which is That's crazy. scary as fuck, right? So, um... I go back and the doctor approved the surgery, right? And my original surgery was scheduled for the 2nd of January in 2017. And I had state insurance, right? After I was officially diagnosed with endometriosis in November, late October, early November, right? This was um, around the same time that I had quit Johnny Rockets Mm -hmm. because remember that conversation I had with that manager? Mm -hmm. I called my manager and I told him, the doctor um, doesn't want me working. They're testing me. They think that I might have a form of cancer and um, I'm gonna have to cut my hours back with, with them and they were already my secondary job at this point because the hotel was paying me so well, right? They were my secondary job at this point. And I told him, um, I can work on the slow days for you because it's a restaurant and Johnny Rockets was slow off then. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted a couple extra coins. It wasn't a big deal, Right. right? So I can work on all of the slow days that you need me. I can bartend, I can wait tables, whichever one, it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. And, um, I said that because I know that those are the days that he couldn't find coverage for. I guess the problem was I was a strong server and I was becoming a strong bartender at that point, right? And he was like, well, this man literally said to me, I'll never forget. I can't work with that schedule. Call me back when you have better availability. Mm. And then... He hung up the phone. And so he didn't fire me, but he did not schedule me Mm. because I could not work on the weekends and I was a strong server and he would have rather I work on the weekends and leave the weekdays to the one person per day. Like it was just one person who would work every day of the weekends and they couldn't keep that up. They said it themselves, right? So I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) 
Because I, your employee comes up to you and says, hey, I need to cut my hours back. I might have cancer. And you're going to say, well, I, I can't work with your cancer. Call me back when you have better availability. That's, that's fucked up, right? So um, that was it for me working there. It was honestly a load off because um, I was just running back and forth from one job to the next over and over again. And I did not have any days off besides the days I would go to my doctor's appointments. Mm-hmm. Right. And after that, um, my day comes around for the surgery. So on January 1st, I went in to um, Memorial Regional Hospital, and this is not their fault. I went in for my pre-op blood work, and they couldn't see me because I had no insurance. Mm. I had state insurance, and Donald Trump was president, and he was rolling back the, um, he was rolling back parts of Obamacare. And one of the, or um, he's rolling back parts of the government um, assisted insurance, right? The, a, um, the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, Affordable Care Act. So the part that had, um, the part that affected me was pre existing conditions. Mm. Since I was diagnosed in late October, early November with endometriosis and I had to have a surgery. The surgery itself can, um, depending on what they do, range anywhere from like fifteen to $30,000. And that's kind of like average. Well, not really, 30,000 is a lot, but you know, that's kind of within the ballpark. So um, with that being said, whether it was the 15,000 or the 30,000, I don't have the money for that. So the day before my surgery, I found out that because um, of the of the um, basically because of the rules of the Affordable Care Act, they discontinued my insurance and yeah, they discontinued it. They didn't send me a notice and I now was uninsured and I had to figure it out and they did this on december 31st and my mm. ske- my operation was scheduled for january 2nd so they know damn well what they did they were gonna let me die they were a hundred percent going to let me die because in america if you cannot afford treatment you die you and die. that's it so um uh it was a struggle but finally my mother's husband winded up putting me on his insurance and it was 80 20 Mm -hmm. right so they pay 80 i pay 20. i had my operation um i think february 17th Mm -mm. it was january 17th no it wasn't it was it was january so i i took you to the surgery okay it was january 17th (laughs) whoops listen i was not i was not coherent i was i was not there at that point remember okay day it was january 17th 
we got on the Florida Turnpike. We were listening to all the high school jams. We were listening to a bandstand. That tunes. one asshole who wouldn't let us merge. We did the whole shebang. Like, I remember this. And you talking about some February 17th. Listen, I remember. I remember the 17th, okay? It was a long, it wasn't a long time ago, but my memories during during these entire two and a half years, mm-hmm. my memories are sparse. They are they are few in between. I don't remember most of those two years mm-hmm. because I was so sick, right? So after after that, I we go. You took me to my surgery, you know, and we laying down. And I remember you made that that comment. We saw that one old lady who was um in the. They put you in a waiting room for all the people who are about to have operations, mm-hmm. and it makes you feel like you' about to die, mm-hmm. right? Because everybody's just in there looking half dead. Yes. Right? Everybody in there looking half dead. Family members are like solemn and at and the bedside. Everybody's looking kind of nervous and all that good shit. And and it was just like I wanted to cry so fucking bad. I was so scared. I was terrified. And what's so funny about this whole thing? Michaela is like, you talking about um, the pre-op room? Mm-hmm. So Michaela is on the bed. The nurse is getting her vitals. And I'm sitting in the waiting room with her at her bedside using Snapchat filters. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, Michaela, they got the hot dog filter now. <laughs> and she's trying to be happy with me. But obviously, I'm like, I'm like, all right, let me shut up. Because the nurse is like, what is he talking about? <laughs> so She probably realized when she went on her break, oh, shit, hot dog filter. <laughs> so, um... I go and I have my operation. My bad. So um, I'm in the waiting room. And then I remember I remember the nurse's hair. She had a curly afro, right? Mm-hmm. She did. Big ass curly afro. That's all I remember. I remember her voice telling me, okay, I'm going to give you something to help you relax. And that was it. That was it. I, was, I woke up after my surgery. What's really funny is it didn't happen like that. <laughs> it did not happen like that. So the nurse put the... Um, she gave her the um, the anesthesia, the first part of the anesthesia. I'm not sure which one. It was a local or general. So she gave her the anesthesia. Oh, no, honey. I was under, under. It was not local. Michaela was looking around. Everything was cool. The nurse said, all right, um, this is for you to be relaxed, okay? She was like, all right, cool. And she was like, she looked at me. She was like, all right, um, we're going to take her now. And you can sit outside. And somebody will walk you down to the, uh, to the family waiting room. I was like, cool. So... They uh they lift up the bed, the bed goes, and Michaela starts getting wheeled out, and Michaela's talking, and she's looking around, <laughs> and then all of a sudden her head goes back, and I'm like, oh, there I go. <laughs> the anesthesia kicks in, cause that anesthesia is no joke. Usually it's like <laughs> ten to thirty seconds, depending on like how big you are. But she was out, 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 out. Listen, I don't remember any of that. I just remember her saying, "Okay, I'm gonna give you something to help you relax." I'm like, "Okay." And then I woke up. All right. <laughs> so you didn't just wake up. Listen, it was like she woke up like 14 times while I was in there. So she would wake up. She would cry. Go back to sleep. Wake up again. Cry. Go back to sleep. And then that's when your mom came. Your mom came. Yeah. Your mom, your little brother. Your mom was like, is she still asleep? I was like, "Nah, she's in and out. So she'll be up in like a few seconds. And then, oh, my God. Your mom was like, how you doing, Michaela? And Michaela's like, mom, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Did I really? Oh, thank God. Because she would have annoyed the fuck I was like, and so like, I'm trying not to laugh because obviously her mom is right here. So I can't just like, bust out laughing. 
But <laughs> my brother laughed a little bit, didn't he? He did. He was laughing. <laughs> you see, that's my best friend right I know. there. Oh, that's funny. So here's what I remember. So waking up, something that again, they don't be telling you shit, bro. Nobody explained to me that when you go under anesthesia, you do not have any painkillers. Because basically, they need to make sure that you're awake before they administer anything. And then, um, and that's just so that you don't fall into a coma or anything. Because mm-hmm. you can fall into a coma and die if, if they give it to you too soon, right? <laughs> or not die, but you know what I mean. So um, they come and they give me, my bad. I remember I was laying back and I wake up and I remember this searing pain Mm -hmm. so my operation was an endometrial ablation and what they do is they have this nice little nifties tool that they use to um cut you open and it also has this like this um edge where um it basically burns so it cauterizes whatever Mm-hmm. whatever is touching and they use that for like open veins and all that shit so mm-hmm. you don't bleed out on the table it uses electricity mm-hmm. so what they do in an ablation is they scrape off the layer of your uterus and they kind of burn it while they're scraping it off right so they literally had to burn me from the inside out so when i woke up the only thing that i felt was burning Just like boom. it felt like it felt like fire ants were ripping me apart because your nerve endings are no longer connected at the incision area. So it just feels like spikes and needles just like going back and forth, darting in and out. And it literally feels like they're going in and out. And um, But that's literally what's happening. That's yeah. literally what's happening. So I felt it all through up my abdomen, though. And I just remember hearing the nurse say, she's awake, she's awake. And then I was intubated, so they had put a tube down my throat, Mm -hmm. and then they ripped the tube out. And I I had to be awake for them to take the tube out. Like, you have to be conscious. So they take the tube out, and then I remember, like, vaguely looking down, and then somebody shot me up with something. I'm guessing it was morphine, or there's... um, one level above morphine that I would always have to refuse when I went to the ER Mm -hmm. because morphine, like I would still be in pain and they always wanted to give me the next level up. And I'm like, you're, you're not giving me a death sentence. Absolutely not. Right. So, um, they, um, they gave me whatever the fuck it was. I'm pretty sure it was morphine. And to this day, I don't know if I passed out from the pain or if I passed out from um, from the from okay. the medication mm-hmm. that they gave me, all I know is that I was down for the count. I was out. I was gone. I don't remember all that waking up and passing out shit. Thank God. <laughs> I don't remember any of that. I remember waking up that first time and them pulling the tube out of my throat, and it literally just hurt all the way up. Right. So I remember that part. And then I remember when they were wheeling me into the recovery room. And um, in the recovery room, I had to stand up to get on the other bed. And I thought I was going to pop open. I had um, internal stitches and um, 
they glued the top and then they put a tape on the top to keep it closed. And that's a new way that they try to do certain type of operations so that there's really no scar. And if you were to, well, you can't look at it because it's like below my bikini line. And that's okay. We yep. don't look. But if you were to see it, it just looks like I got a scratch. It mm. healed so fucking well. I have mosquito bites that healed worse than my, <laughs> I'm so serious. Like it's not discolored. It's not black. There's like a little bit of um a little bit of a raised area mm -hmm. al along it but the raised area doesn't go the entire length of my incision which is fucking awesome like it if you looked at it sh clean shave wax everything you cannot Eerie. see it and i'm just so happy i had dr win and he gave a fuck like that all right mm -hmm. so um <clears throat> after i woke up they were gonna send me home the same day mm -hmm. right because apparently that's what my insurance covered. <laughs> and I could not go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Dr. Wynn comes in and he tells me that when he got in for the ablation, it was far more serious than he expected it to be. And um, <clears throat> the extra tissue that had grown, um, instead of just growing around my uterus, it had attached itself to other organs, which is stage three endometriosis. So endometriosis comes in four stages. You can think of them like cancer stages, gotcha. right? So I was um, in between stage three and stage four. And stage four, if you ever look at the diagram, it literally just looks like your uterus melted into itself with extra tissue around it. Mm -hmm. Like your ovary comes out of place and everything. And I was in between three and four. He said that when he went in, um, my the extra tissue had wrapped around my uterus. It um, wrapped around parts of my intestine. And um, he snipped out a small piece of my intestine to... Um, to do um, tests and because it had basically started to to rot and die like there was this one piece that was literally just dying so he snipped it out to um, send it back for samples and all that stuff mm -hmm. and he explained to me how big it was I don't remember right <laughs> and then um, he told me that it had also reached up through my body ca body cavity and it had attached to my stomach and that's why I hadn't been able to eat for the past couple months because I had two ulcers mm. inside of my stomach. Yeah. So ulcers are um, basically your stomach forming holes and the stomach acid starts to eat through the protective lining of your stomach. Right. And um, the endometriosis the tissue had reached up and basically it started to to um tear away from my stomach from the outside mm -hmm. and you know um there's a protective lining in your stomach from the inside but if you make that lining too thin on either side you get an ulcer right so i had two ulcers that were forming he had to scrape off both of my ovaries he had to scrape off my intestines and my kidneys and um so that thing was just everywhere. Yeah, and something else, some some other organ. He had to scrape my my uterus off of my other organs inside of my body, and um, because of that, 
it's normal for you to experience um, your organs seizing. I forgot the medical term for it. So basically, after they've been through that, your organs are traumatized and they don't work. Mm. Like they just stop working for, for a little while while they try to process. It's like, you know, you, you get a cut or you get stabbed through your hand. I don't know if you have been stabbed before, but you gotta, you gotta wait. Like it always takes a second for you to be able to react a little bit. Right. So, um, (laughs) after Dr. Wynn came in and told me that, and he made sure that I was very, very coherent when he was telling me all of this, um, you know, you were there. Mm-hmm. And my mom was there with my brother. And uh, I don't know why the fuck she bought my brother. I did. I asked her not to bring my brother. I did not want my brother to see me in the operating room or to see me afterwards, mm-hmm. right? And they left and you left, right? Mm-hmm. That first night. And I couldn't sleep. <laughs> I stayed awake for like two days and I couldn't go to the restroom either. Like I couldn't pee. I couldn't poop. No, nothing. Mm -hmm. So the next day, it literally took me a full 24 hours just to be able to pee. That's why I went home the next um, afternoon, evening. Mm -hmm. After I got home, everything seemed to be okay but then um i think it was day five or day six after my surgery i was in so much pain and my mom was like oh no you're fine you just had an operation you know this is just what it feels like and i'm like no it feels like there's something wrong it feels like you know it feels like like i'm dying so i had i i I literally had to beg her to take me to the emergency room and I get in there and they keep me overnight. So it's day seven of my recovery and they come in and they tell me um, that I had a bladder infection Mm. because they, um, since I couldn't pee, they placed a catheter inside of me. Oh, that shit was so uncomfortable. (laughs) Ooh, yep, I was peeing like a man standing up. Like, seriously, I just, like, opened a little tube, let it out, and it would hurt. Like, at the end of peeing, it would hurt. And I've never experienced that before. Like, I had a UTI, but the UTI didn't, it didn't hurt like that. You know what I mean? But since you put a um, catheter in, it's very, very common to get a bladder infection because you're putting a foreign object inside of, inside of your, inside of your um, urethra, right? Mm-hmm. So got diagnosed with a bladder infection and then I had to go on um, antibiotics right after my surgery, you know, other than what they were, what they had already given me to make sure I didn't get like a a staph infection or anything like that. And then um, after that was your car accident. That was literally me two weeks. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that was me two weeks healed. <laughs> I, I you wanna, tell this part. I want to put this in the air. 
that car accident was the craziest thing that has ever happened to me. <laughs> we we were leaving church. We went to church. This was like the first time Michaela has been to church since the like the surgery, right? Because like we always used to go to church here and there and stuff like that. We went to church. Cool. Everything was fine. I left church. We went to go get gas. Boom. Car accident. It's like what can what can go wrong? <laughs> that car accident was a mess though like your car was fucking gone car was destroyed it was the car is actually outside right now <laughs> the, the same car that yeah was but that car was so expensive to fix i was surprised you actually got it fixed on the next episode of a peaceful moment all right cool so um they winded up taking me to the er by ambulance they still contacted me trying to get me to um Basically, they want me to sue you. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they thought I was going to sue you, but I'm not going to sue you. <laughs> no, I'm going to tell you that right now. They're going to have to figure it out. I'm not suing it. you, bro. What the fuck? I do appreciate it. <laughs> so in Florida, you um, car insurance is really, really stupid, right? And um, with car insurance, you have to... Sorry, with um, Florida car insurance, basically you have to use the insurance of your household. So what that means is, um, and it's literally a scenario like this I was living in, I am living with basically roommates and whoever has car insurance. So like if you're living in a three bedroom house and each room is rented out, one of your roommates has has, um, car insurance because they have the insurance you have to file a claim under their insurance because that is seen as your household car insurance i was living with my mom and her husband and i was paying rent and paying bills and all that good stuff so it was like a roommate situation the car insurance was under his name but it was in a different state and they don't have the same laws in that state so if he had made a claim with me for the accident I was in down here, it would have made his premiums go up because the car insurance that he had was not Florida car insurance. It's Florida, it's stupid. So um, basically, they rejected my part of the insurance claims because my stepdad would not give me the information that I needed for, I mean, to file a claim because it would have raised his premiums. So another thing that they don't tell you about the medical industry is that even though I had Florida Blue, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Mm -hmm. after my surgery, I only got one doctor's visit to check up on me. I did not get any rehabilitation. I had a C-section scar. So what happens is they had to cut through my muscles and the muscles in your abdomen is what helps you sit upright and stand upright. So they had to um, detach those muscles to get to my uterus. And then they have to, you know, sew them back together. You never sew them back together exactly how they were cut open. Because, you know, it's just not something, it's not feasible. So, um, yes, I'm healing, but 
I didn't have any re I didn't have any rehabilitation after that. I didn't have any physical therapy, no nothing. It was just the one doctor's visit to make sure that my incision hadn't gone septic and to rip off that top tape and the the tape that they put over your incision. God damn. Mm, mm. Oh my gosh, when they have to rip that off. Child, that's tape, tape, tape. No, it's like I, I'd rather you rip duct tape off of me than rip mm. off that surgical tape because that surgical tape was holding your incision together. I had internal dissolvable stitches and then that tape was holding the stitches together and they have to rip that off. Yep, I cried all over again. <laughs> so um, after all of that is said and done, the recovery process comes. And it took me, um, they say it takes six to eight months for your organs to go back in place after a surgery. And that's when you're considered completely healed and um, rehabilitated. But that's if you had the physical therapy. I did not have any physical therapy, nor would my insurance cover any even after the car accident because physical therapy for the car accident had to go through car insurance. So I couldn't continue it on my own even if I had wanted to with that weird thing that doctor was doing with the zap pads and whatnot. Oh my God. (laughs) So um, it took me about two years to recover. So I had my surgery in 2017. I didn't start feeling back to normal like myself until the beginning of this year wow mm-hmm. wow yep look at that <laughs> the exact same year of the pandemic that's how crazy life is and i got my first three-month vacation <laughs> <laughs> i'm so poor but yep that is my story that is my story so um last thing before we end what advice would you give anybody who's dealing with this, like dealing with this situation? If you are, what? Let me rephrase that. Uh-huh. What advice can you give any woman in the medical industry, in the dealing with the medical industry? I should say. So, if you feel like there's something wrong, there is something wrong. Mm-hmm. If you um, feel like the doctors are wrong insist on seeing a different doctor. If they refuse to let you see a different doctor or if they refuse any tests you feel um, need to be done, tell them that you want it notated on your chart that the doctors are refusing the tests provided and they'll probably give you the tests, right? If you, um, if you feel like a doctor isn't treating you fairly, you're not overreacting. They're not treating you fairly. Go see a different fucking doctor. Exactly. All right. And another thing you have to remember that the mortality rate for black women specifically is one of the one of the highest mortality rates, especially when it comes to um, childbirth. One in every five black women experience a serious medical problem during childbirth. And a lot of times it winds, it winds up resulting in their death or the death of the infant or um, more problems than you would have had if you were of a different race. Exactly. 
So if you feel like there's something wrong, if you feel like something is going on and you feel like you're not being heard by your doctors, change all of your doctors. Exactly. I saw three different doctors before I saw Dr. Wynn because there was um, another OBGYN I saw inside of one of the ERs. Right? And no matter how good, because Dr. Stefan Novak was supposed to be the best one you could get around mm -hmm. as a regular um, gynecologist. And one of his nurses messed up my medication, gave me the wrong medication, and I took it and I got worse. So no matter what they say, they're all human, they make mistakes, and you're most likely right. There is most likely something wrong and you need help. Go get the help. If they don't want to help you, find somebody that will. Don't play with your fucking life don't because play with your fucking life. I almost died twice off of something that was completely preventable. And now I, um, I'm most likely infertile after all of this. Mm -hmm. And the next thing, the last, last, last thing I promise. <laughs> Take your time. Last thing is that before my surgery happened, the doctor told me how extensive the damage was most likely, right? And I said to him, well, take out my uterus because I don't want to feel this pain. The doctor, Dr. Um, Dr. Wynn, the good doctor at Memorial Regional, the one who saved my life, he told me that even though I am positive about this decision, unfortunately, I could not because I didn't meet the, the criteria to be allowed to remove my own uterus. Mm -hmm. So the criteria are I either have had to have one child married and have my husband's permission or I was about to die. Or I was over the age of 35 or 38. So I'm 19 years old. I know I want to get my uterus taken out because you are literally telling me that it might kill me. But the insurance would not approve a hysterectomy because I wasn't married and I didn't have a child and I wasn't over over 35. And we're in the United States of America. Mm -hmm. And at this time, this is what, 2016, mm -hmm. 2016. So. I checked again right before my operation, I, mm -hmm. and he said that the only way that he would take it out is if um, he got in there and I was a hundred percent stage um, four can't. I mean, stage four endometriosis, and mm -hmm. there was nothing he could do. But if there was a viable chance to save it, he would have to take the the chance to save it. Otherwise, insurance would not cover my operation. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Got you. And that is that. And that's that on that. Mm-hmm.